0: Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Sean Walker of Simple Cove, and I'm joined today by Hui Huynh of the Alabama Woodworker. Hello. Hey. And Guy Dunlap of Guy's Woodshop. Hey. Hello. <laughs> this podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and to give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. If you'd like to support the show, we're simply asking for a small donation to cover the costs of bringing you this podcast. Head on over to patreon.com slash life if you'd like to show your support. I want to also say hello to our newest patron, April DeRoset, and we sincerely hope that you will give us your support. Let's get right into it. We What's your first question? All right. My
1: first question is from Troy, and Troy is asking about woodpecker's tools. I don't think I have heard y'all talk about these before, so here you go. Woodpecker's tools. What do y'all think of them? Are there better or cheaper tools out there that will work as good? I have a few woodpecker's tools, and I really like them and find them very useful, but... Just looking for other options out there. I also have bought a few of their one-time tools and have been very pleased with them. Keep up the great work, Troy. I kind of feel like I have like a little bit of a love-hate relationship with Woodpecker's tools. I actually have quite a a bit of them, but I don't use the ones that I actually bought a lot. I kind of tend to always sort of gravitate towards the combination square and the double square that I have from PEC, Precision Engineering Corporation. And there are these like cosmetic seconds that I had. But the one thing that I do use a lot of the Woodpecker's tools are their rulers. I use quite a few of their rulers. Uh, I think I have like the 12 inch, the 24 inch, and I think I have a 36 inch. And those are pretty good. But the reason why I don't use their squares a lot, is because their red aluminum squares kind of are are a little thicker they're not a little thicker they're they're much thicker than say the double squares or the rules on the double squares and the combination squares that I have and I get quite a bit of parallaxing so I tended to always gravitate to the same tools and while I have like the six inch, eight inch, and twelve inch square from Woodpeckers, I actually hardly ever use them. I I, I don't know. What what are your, your guys' opinions on woodpeckers tools? I like Guy
0: picked this one up next. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, and just for transparency's sake, Woodpeckers is a sponsor of mine, mm-hmm. and they've paid me both monetarily and with tools over the past several years. And I've done a lot of video work for them and a lot of advertising for them. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind, please. But the unvarnished truth of it is I really like 99% of everything that, that I've gotten from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with you on the the blades on the squares we oui. mm-hmm. They're good for squares, but you know measuring stuff, trying to get something, you know, make a mark let's say one inch, Mm-hmm. It's next to impossible because the, the 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 blade is you know a quarter inch. It's right. way too high off the material. Mm-hmm. That is an issue with them, and they actually came out with a series of I think they have the, the six and twelve inch, where they have like a sixteenth sixteenth inch thick mm-hmm. stainless steel blade on them now and
1: it's a and it's it's a sliding it's a sliding rule too right i think is that right
2: no it's got holes in the ah, it's got like yeah. a grid work inside of it mm-hmm. and it doesn't parallax and they mm. i got a set of those probably maybe a month ago yeah. maybe 3 weeks ago and they're fantastic they're really really nice I also have, you know, everywhere from the six, the eight, the 12, the 18, and the 26 inch big red aluminum squares. Mm -hmm. I use the 18 and the 26 all the time.
1: Yes, I do as well. I have their 26 and it's really good.
2: Yeah. Those are well worth having. They're pricey, Mm -hmm. but I think those are tools that you can get all the time now. They're not one-time tools. I do have a couple of their specialty items. I've got their parallel guides for the the track. Mm -hmm. I've got the domino plate. I've got a bunch of rulers. One thing they sent me that I thought was always kind of I guess was I, I thought was silly was mm-hmm. their Story Stick. Really big plastic things. I was like, yeah, that's so stupid. They they sent me one. I use that thing all the time.
1: I actually use that a lot too. It comes in ha- handy for like marking cabinet drawers and stuff.
2: Yeah, I was really surprised how much I use it, and I really love that thing. Mm-hmm. That's well, and that's not that expensive either. I think it's like maybe eighty or ninety dollars for their Story Stick Pro. and it's worth every penny of it.
1: And it's always available.
2: Yeah, it's always available. I have their router table, which is very Mm -hmm. nice. It's not an Incra, but Incra has some pros and cons, and the Woodpecker has pros and cons, but it's a very good table. Uh, Generally speaking, their, their stuff is really, really well engineered. Yes. It's very well made, but it's not inexpensive equipment. So- and a lot of people complain, well, it's so expensive. I can get something, you know, just as good for less money. Yeah, maybe. You know, that I'm not gonna argue with that. But you know, it's it's just one of those things where you know some people are really into the into the tools and mm-hmm. they make a very good tool. It's a very mm-hmm. high quality tool.
0: One thing that I find uh unique about their products is they're just different enough that you're not really going to find a, a cheaper alternative that's going to be as precise. Meaning, a lot of their T-square, the 24 inch or the 32 inch or whatever, where can you find an alternative from a company that makes something like that that's you know as precise as Woodpeckers?
1: Are you talking about their T-square that has the 5.5 uh, millimeter holes in them? Yeah, for the pencil. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I don't think there's another company out there that yeah. makes one, and all of their. Um, they're just their squares, all the different size squares and stuff that are as precise. Mm-hmm. The only company that I'm aware of is uh, the Wood um that mm-hmm. sells the squares on Amazon. I did buy one of those, and it's it's a really nice tool that's, that's cheaper than the Woodpeckers. But, I mean, other than that, they just sell unique enough products that sometimes – it's going to be hard to find a cheaper alternative or an alternative that's just as precise. Like the, what is it? Their Pallone, what is it called? The Pallone? Oh,
2: the the Gregory, Gregory Paolini,
0: Paolini, whatever. Yeah. The Pallone pocket roll. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I've got, I've, I had uh, the red one for years and then I upgraded to the stainless steel one that's Mm -hmm. metric on one side and uh, Imperial on the other, the six inch. I, nice. I I use that thing constantly, yeah. constantly. One of the handiest things I've ever had, I've ever bought from them. Uh, I also have one of those Delve squares, Delvey squares, whatever it is, a little four-inch guy. Mm-hmm. It's actually pretty cool.
0: Mm-hmm. I
2: reach for that quite a bit.
0: Yeah. yeah. So they um, they bring on some most of their stuff, not all of it, but they bring some uniqueness to the game that you really won't find a lot of alternatives. Uh, I yeah. personally only have the twelve eighty one. And I also have their um, their parallel clamp rackets, which are amazing. Um, mm-hmm. they, they, they're they really nicely made. Uh, they save space uh, and well worth the money. Uh, but the the only thing that I have is the 1281 uh, as far as any of their measuring uh, devices are concerned. I don't have anything else. Um, but I did think about getting that pocket rule, uh, the Pellini, Paolini, I can't even say it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it'll come to me after this episode, but that's really the only other thing that I'd be interested in getting myself. I just recently picked up a 24 inch, uh, um, combination square. So I think I'm straight for yeah on that type of stuff for a while.
1: If you don't mind me asking, how much did that, did that set you back? The steric? Oh, are we asking people prices now? No, well, well, (laughs) I'm trying to, the reason why I'm saying is that that's a high quality standard, right? Steric is a high
0: quality standard. Yeah, I think I uh, paid maybe 150 bucks for everything.
1: Right. And so we're looking at that from Starrett. Uh, actually, I want to say Woodpeckers is pretty comparable when we're looking at those types of tools, though those types of high precision tools. I mean, okay. for instance, Comparable
2: in price?
1: Yeah. So the Paulini pocket rule, the six inch is $43. I think they're on back order, right? So if you were to get just the, I think the, uh, like no, a, no, I'm not comparing g-
0: the the it to that to that pocket rule.
1: No, 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 I'm not, I, I'm not either. But let let us just take the pocket rule for a second. You know that's forty three dollars, right? And let's mm-hmm. say you get like a really nice it just ruler, just a flat stainless steel ruler, I'm uh, six inch. I imagine that's going to set you back twenty thirty dollars.
2: Nope, they're about fifteen. 15, twenty bucks.
1: Fifteen twenty bucks. Okay. Or I would go six, five, peck
2: just for or I would go
1: Yeah. I'm sorry. Say that again.
2: Just for a six inch ruler. Okay. So
1: about six. fifteen twenty dollars, but then you get a rule stop from Veritas. I think that's about fifteen or twenty dollars. So, you know, maybe that's a little bit cheaper. Eight ten dollars cheaper than than the uh, than the Paulini pocket rule. It doesn't seem like
0: that's that big of a difference in price. Just that one item. No. No, that's not a big price difference. I'm talking like yeah. you know, some of their other items are expensive. Oh, for sure. But you're for but sure. again, you're you may not find an alternative. Like their T squares. You're not gonna find an alternative that's that's as nice as Woodpecker. Sure. I mean you're you're sure. not.
2: And I've, I've got like those those uh parallel guide systems, which mm-hmm. I think are around four hundred dollars. They're fairly expensive. Yes. But those are what I use to cut all the plywood up for my kitchen.
0: Mm-hmm. Now that you would be able to find alternatives to
2: there. Yeah. And I've actually got, you know, what I thought were really good were the Seneca ones. Mm-hmm. And I use those for years. And I I really like the woodpecker ones better. Once, once they're calibrated, they're mm-hmm. super accurate. They work really, really well.
1: Yeah. I will agree with you, Sean, that their T-square is one tool in particular that I don't think you can find anywhere else. And I have it and it's very useful and I like it. The Paulini pocket rule is one of those tools. It's like, well, yeah, you can buy a ruler and then you can buy the stop. But Paulini pocket rule is machined really well together and it fits very well together and it works very well. So I, I don't know. I went that route. And to me, it didn't seem like it for what I was getting. It didn't seem like it was setting me back that much. But I couldn't find an alternative that was as good or that that had certain unique functions to it.
0: I don't think you will find one There, you won't. There's not with all the features of being able to set that up in the different ways that you can, you're not going to find one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's yeah. the thing about a lot of their products. I mean, their mm-hmm. 1281 is the only thing that I can think of that you'll find, you know, maybe a couple of their other smaller squares. You can find some uh, mm-hmm. machinist squares to to replace. But once you start getting into their other unique tools like that pocket rule and the larger squares and the T squares and the parallel guides, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes you just you won't find an alternative and you have to pay their prices. Yeah. Now, I know that TSO sells parallel guides. Uh, have you tried those? I have not. And I they have. are actually cheaper than the woodpeckers. Are they? I thought they were pretty pricey, too. I mean, they are. They're $359. Oh, I mean yeah. it's, what, okay. $40 bucks $40. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, anyway, um, I think the answer is that, yeah, they're definitely well worth it. And there are some alternatives for some of the tools. And we actually, among the three of us, we own some of those things. But... Really, it comes down to personal preference and choice and what functionality you
0: want to get out of the tool. Yeah. And if you buy it, I don't think you'll regret it. I mean, they make really nice stuff. Oh, for sure. Definitely not. I'd take one of everything.
1: Yeah. And it's really pretty to look at. I don't know about you, but I like looking at it. Yeah. (laughs) That anodized red is nice, isn't it?
2: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) I think you're up next, guy.
2: All right. This is from Scott in Jackson, Tennessee. And Scott writes... Hi, guys. I've got a question for the podcast that I've never heard anyone address. Well, that's what we're going to do for you. Is it worth it to invest in high-dollar drill bits? As a hobbyist on a tight budget, I generally get new bits at the box store, but sometimes I look at them while they are spinning and tell that they are not spinning straight. They seem to do the job, but I always wondered if having better bits or possibly a better drill, I guess, is worth the money. Thanks, and I love the great show format, Scott from Jackson, Tennessee. Well, there's there's two answers to that question, and and I'm going to address the second question first, which is you really probably want to check your drill, especially if you've got a, a drill press and your bits seem like they're not spinning straight in the chuck. That could be a problem with your chuck or the arbor of the drill press. And that can be fixed by knocking the uh, chuck out of the Morse taper of the the mm-hmm. arbor, cleaning it up, and then reseeding it. Mm-hmm. And it may take a couple times to get it right. And there's a couple videos on the on YouTube on how to do that. Very easy, but that may be a problem. Mm-hmm. Number one. Let's say that that is not the issue, and that you know everything is spinning straight. I have. Sp- Two sets of drill bits that I use, other than the Forster bits, but just regular, you know, drill bits. Yeah. I've got some um, fish bits that were not cheap. I had a set of, I think there's like seven or eight, and they were probably, you know, 80 or $90 for this set of drill bits. They're Brad point. They're very nice. I never use them in my hand drills. Those are always in my drill press when I try to drill precision holes. Mm -hmm. Every now and then in my hand drill, but mostly in my drill press. I also, every, and I just bought another set because my old one, my ones I had were probably about five or six years old and were starting to get dull, were, uh, is a set of drill bits from the big box store. Mm. You know, there's like 20 or 30 drill bits in there and everything from a 16th of an inch to a half inch. And there's a bunch of them. It's not the cheap drill indexes. These aren't the, they're not the metal oxide bits that you get in a big drill index. Nothing like that. These are actually the DeWalt titanium bits. I think it was like around 30 bucks Mm. Mm -hmm. for the set of drill bits. And that's what I use most of the time when I'm using my hand drills. So for me it is worth the money to have a one good set of drill bits especially if you're doing things like drilling holes for dowels or mm-hmm. drilling holes for pegs because if those holes are not drilled correctly you know your dowels aren't going to fit inside the holes properly they'll right. be, they'll be slopping there so mm-hmm. I say yes get a decent set of drill bit not high dollar but Decent, just to have them. What do you think?
1: I actually need to uh, get a new drill bit set for my for my handheld drill. I do the same thing. the 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 Brad point bits that I have are these uh, high high speed steel bits that I got from Woodcraft, and they're very good. Although I will actually uh, use them in my handheld drill as well. Were you saying that the um, the high dollar bits are Brad points? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, they're Brad. Okay, I I will actually use that in my handheld drill at times. Mainly though, I'm using it in my drill press. But the twist bits are a cheaper set, and I use those in my handheld drill. But I think they are sort of on their way out. Uh, I need to yeah. I need to upgrade them. Absolutely, I think it's worth having the high dollar drill bit set, but also. Having the cheaper one for the household use is 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 definitely necessary yeah, as well.
2: Yeah. The high dollar ones, you know, like I said, they're like seventy. It was like seventy or eighty dollars. It wasn't like, yeah. you know, earth shattering. But I've also had them for probably close to ten years.
0: Oh yeah, they're gonna last a really you know, long. time. They last time.
2: forever. What What about you, Sean?
0: It's definitely worth getting the nice bits. You're going to have clean holes. You're going to have true holes. They're not going to get tear out, and they're going to be the right size, which is really important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I bought really nice bits. I only buy the bits as I need them, so I started started out with probably four or five of them, of the ones from Lee Valley, the uh, high speed steel, uh, and they're about anywhere from you know six to uh, anywhere from six to eight dollars per bit. They're going to last forever, and they're really just really nice bits but yeah they're lee valley uh, lee valley sells them they're high speed steel. definitely worth the uh, the money uh, and the investment to get the nice bits up front and uh, for the other stuff i just have a cheap uh, kit that i bought from i think home depot a nice makita kit that's got all different yeah. sizes including metric bits
2: one thing to stay away from i think are the um the ones that have the the little square bottoms to fit in the driver. Yes, yes, yeah. Too much wobble. There's too much wobble. I'm going to stay away from those. Just get regular drill bits to go into Jacobson Chuck.
1: Now, do you guys uh, have like uh, any of those, like um, the tapered countersink bits? Do you guys use any of those at all? Yeah, yeah. Good ones of those are not cheap.
2: No, I've got a set of Fullers that mm-hmm. I bought. Ooh, what's today? Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Thirty years ago,
1: okay, wow,
2: that I still use because I bought and I because I bought replacement mm-hmm. drills for them, but the counter sinks are still good, they came yeah. with plug cutters and everything it was really nice,
0: yeah, so all right, Sean, I think you've got the next question, man, awesome, all right, this is uh from Travis. Hello, I would like your opinion on what would be the better upgrade option around the $300 to $400 range. I currently have a 60-Zero Delta 6-inch joiner with a, a 1.5 horsepower motor, and I'm debating on whether I should upgrade to a carbide helical cutter head, or should I upgrade the capacity to a used 8-inch joiner, which I can find usually find here about for $100 more. Thanks for the podcast. It's going great. Travis. All right. So if I were in your shoes, I would, without a doubt, upgrade to a larger capacity joiner uh, you know, being able to joint waterboards boards is nice. And, you know, I went years without a helical head, probably uh, like Guy would say, let's see, what time is it? It's a uh, Monday. I went probably six years without a helical head. I mean, you can definitely get by, but having that capacity is awesome. I would not trade capacity on a joiner for anything. So I would go with the eight inch. Uh, but my question to you is what kind of planer are you using? And does it already have a helical head in it? If so, then having one in the joiner doesn't matter as much since you're pretty much going to be running the boards through the planter last, which is going to clean up the faces and the table saw is going to clean up the edges. Uh, That's my opinion on the matter. What do you guys think? Stick with the six inch and upgrade the head or go with the larger eight inch joiner?
2: Hmm.
0: It also depends on his
1: space too. Uh, Well... I don't know. Do you do you think a six inch really is that much less space? Takes up less space that much less space than say an eight inch?
2: Yes.
0: Depends on the bed set and length and stuff too.
2: Most of the stuff that you'll see out there used be like an old Delta DJ twenty. I mean, mm-hmm. those beds are six feet long. Yeah. A six inch joiner in most cases, you know, he's talking about a delta six inch joiner, probably like around four. So it's mm-hmm. they're considerably larger. Yeah. Typically. I would go with an eight inch joiner
1: over a six inch because the capacity is nice. But man, having a helical head is really nice too. Not having to set those uh blades and not having to get them sharpened. You know, that that's something you can get later on if you get the eight inch. I don't know. What are your thoughts, guy?
2: Uh I say get the eight inch joiner also. I would try to find a eight inch joiner that may have a helical head on it. Mm. Yeah. There's probably not as many of those as there are straight knives. But yeah, i definitely go the 8-inch joiner. And I agree with Sean. I, I, I used, a, I actually had a 6-inch joiner, a jet that I had for a number of years. <clears throat> I bought that in, I think, 97. And that was a 6-inch six, a six jet. I think it had a horse and a half motor. And uh, I used that thing for a long time. Now I sharpened the blades myself and mm. I didn't have any issues with it. You just gotta make sure you read the grain. So yep. going to an eight-inch joiner with straight knives, I don't think is a big thing. Yeah. If you're if you're used to having a uh, the knives to begin with, I think you'll really enjoy the, the eight-inch capacity. Mm-hmm. More than likely it's gonna have a larger bed. So if you can use the room, it's it's gonna be much easier to joint longer boards. I'd recommend that. Also. Yeah. Let me
0: bring this point up real quick. And he's talking about switching his joiner to a helical head. You know, if your planer doesn't have a helical head, what good is that going to do for you if you're going, you know, to a straight knife planer? So it sounds like I'm going to guess Travis, his planer's already has a helical head in it. So going with an eight inch with straight knives, your planer's going to clean that up unless you're for some reason going straight off the joiner to... to something else and you're bypassing the planer, I would imagine your planer is going to clean that up for you. Yeah, that's a good point. Hope that helps. All right, that wraps up our first round of questions. And before we get on to the second round, we'd like to thank our very first sponsor, and that's Maverick Abrasives. Maverick Abrasives is a family-run manufacturer of all things abrasives, such as sanding belts and sanding discs. Their manufacturing facility is located in Anaheim, California, where knowledgeable abrasives and sanding experts are on call Monday through Friday to answer any sanding or finishing questions you may have. Check out their wide assortment of sanding discs on their website. Whether you use 5-hole, 8-hole, or Festool-hole patterns, they have you covered with the best prices on the web. To top it off, they have free shipping on orders $200 or more, so check them out at Maverick Abrasives for your sanding and finishing needs. So, Hui, what do you have for us next? All right. So my next question is from
1: a no-name person. So we'll call her, we'll call her Jane Doe. Uh, What glue do you use for veneering? Are there any circumstances when you would change the glue uh, you're using, such as for curved panels, color of veneer, or purchased versus shop-sawn veneer? So I'll go ahead and just answer the first question and we'll go around and talk maybe about the different kinds of glues that we use. Oh, is it Douglas? Yeah. Sorry. It's Douglas. Okay. So it was actually, sorry, question- Doug. yeah, sorry, Douglas. Um, we didn't put your name until now into the question. Thank you, Sean. The veneer glue that the glue that I'm using for veneering right now is Unibond one, which is a PVA glue uh, made by uh Vin- guy. Do you remember who it's made by? It's made by uh vacuum press vacuum press. That's right. And it is a PVA glue with I think a high amount of solids in it, which makes it have a rigid glue line. And I use that for most of my veneering with some bent lamination or curved work, but not heavily bent or heavily curved. I also use a DAP plastic resin glue. I believe it's called weld. Uh, what is it called? Weldwood. Weldwood.
2: It's, it's urea resin glue.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. it is actually a, it, it's a powder that you mix with water. I use that for like heavily curved stuff. So things that tend to be much more curved is what I would use that for because it's a very, very rigid glue. So that's what I have in my shop right now. And that's what I've been using. But there are other glues. I'm sure Sean and Guy, I I think you guys use some
0: different ones. Am I correct on that? Yep. I'll pass that off to Guy and let him cover most of those. He's the, uh, he does more veneering than I do. (laughs) He's a veneering expert.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm no expert. That's a really broad question, Doug. And, and the answer to all of that is, you know, the the, the second part of that question is, would you change the glue you're using such as curved panels, color of veneer or purchase versus shops on veneer? The -hmm. answer to that is simply yes. There are many different types of glue Mm -hmm. and some are better in some circumstances than others are. So, What you really have to consider when you're doing veneer work is the expansion and contraction of the veneer itself. I know that sounds silly, but if you're using, let's say, a commercial-grade veneer that's like a 42nd of an inch thick, Mm -hmm. that stuff is not going to move. In most cases, you could use a PVA-based veneer glue, like the Unibond 1 or Tightbonds uh, cold press veneer glue. Mm-hmm. There's extra solids in there to help prevent the glue from leaking up through the veneer itself. Right, right. Plus it leaves a, uh, a more rigid glue line than regular PVA glue like a tight bond. I should say tight bond 2 or tight bond 3. Mm-hmm. You can use tight bond 2 and tight bond 3. For using the commercial veneer, the 42nd inch of an inch, I wouldn't do huge panels with it, but small pieces, yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with it at all. And I, mm-hmm. I have used it quite often. I use Urea resin glue quite a bit, mm-hmm. which we has mentioned, there's also the Unibond 800, which is the Unibond version of a, it's a two part glue. Mm-hmm. That leaves a very rigid glue line. You can use epoxy. Mm-hmm. It's also a choice. Another good choice, and I've used a lot for bent laminations, but I'm, I've tried a couple pieces that I've used on shop sawn veneer, and I, I've I've tried the uh, polyurethane glue, mm-hmm. and that works fairly well, too. It's really super messy.
1: Yeah bubbles up.
2: Yeah. So Douglas, if you're thinking about what kind of glue to use, if it's a thin, very thin veneer that is not going to be, not going to lend itself to a lot of expansion and contraction, you Mm -hmm. can use something as simple as tight bond too. But Mm -hmm. I would recommend using one of the veneer PVA glues because of the extra solids. Mm-hmm. If you're using a shops on veneer, you know, you've got something that's maybe a sixteenth or three thirty seconds of an inch thick, those are like small boards. They are gonna move, mm-hmm. especially if it's a wide panel. So using something that has a really rigid glue line like the Unibond 1 or what I use is the urea from out, the urea resin glue, mm-hmm. which is like the DAP weld wood. What
1: about color veneer or color of the wood? Uh, you can buy
2: you can buy a lot of the, the cold press veneer glues in different colors. They'll mm-hmm. have light-colored for maple and then a medium-colored and a dark-colored. Right, right. So... I don't
1: know if my, the precautions that I take for mixing u- the urea resin glue is overkill. I mean, do you wear a mask? Do you wear gloves? I mean, it is urea formaldehyde. Is that is that really? Yeah, it's, got, it's
2: got it's got formaldehyde in it, which is a known carcinogen. Mm-hmm. So you know, just like anything else, uh, there, you really don't have to add much water to that. It it, it tells you how much add. You go really just that little bit. Yeah, you have to follow the instructions pretty exact. I, I just wear a particulate mask okay. while I'm measuring it out. But mm-hmm. once I add the water to it, it's it's not right. going to get airborne anymore. Right. So, right. what about you, Sean? You've dabbled in veneering. What what kind of glue are you using?
0: Cold press glue from Type Bond, or if I'm doing, um, you know, just Type Bond three. Um, I guess is if I'm doing some just basic stuff, um, I have used the Weldwood, but that's on like bent lamination. But yeah, you covered everything else pretty much. <laughs> oh, I have used mm-hmm. the um, the heat lock glue with the you put it on there, let it dry on both pieces, and then use an iron. Yeah,
2: that works pretty good.
0: Yep, big fan of that. That's um, especially if you're doing like a really large piece and you don't have a bag. That works really well. Or even if you no you bubbles help.
1: or anything form up in the center, nope. or you don't get any. No, okay. No.
0: Nope. When it dries, is it tacky at all or no? Hmm. I don't believe so. It's been so long since I've used it. Uh, I've just been using um, the Titebond cold press glue here recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't believe it's, I mean, it's it's probably a little, but not like real sticky or anything like that. Okay.
2: In a pinch, you can always just use Titebond 2 or Titebond 3. I've never used regular Titebond. I wouldn't know how that would work. I would, I would assume it'd be okay. It'd be fine.
0: Yeah. I, no yeah.
1: I always use Titebond 2 or 3.
0: Yeah, or Titebond 2, the extend, if you need a little bit more time. Yeah. Yeah, don't do what
1: I did, which was I used a PVA glue and left it in the vacuum bag overnight and then took it out and wondered why it wasn't dry.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. You know, a lot of people say, well, I'll put it in the bag and i gonna put it in there and leave it there. There's no point in that. The glue can't dry unless it's got air. Right, right. So, especially yeah. if you're using a PVA glue, it, it has to be able to to off gas, so to speak.
1: Guy, I remember the first time I did bent lamination, I called you. I said, well, I don't know why, but the glue's still wet. And he says, what glue? Did you use? is it Unibond One. He's like, you got to take it out of the bag after two hours. It's it's PVA. It's got to dry. It's like, oh,
2: oh
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> it, it even says right on the instructions on the on the bottle itself. It'll tell you. Do you think no. I read the instructions, guy?
1: Obviously, no, I really didn't.
2: <laughs> yeah, if you read the instructions, even on the the cold press veneer glues that I yeah. use, it says right on there. Leave in the bag for forty to 40 minutes to an hour. Yeah. And then you take it out and then you let it dry overnight. Yep. Let it dry for 24 hours out of the bag. Bet laminations are a different animal. And I don't think that's what Douglas was talking about here, but just like regular flat veneers. I think you can get away for everything from type on two and three cold press veneer glue is a little bit better. And then mm-hmm. you can go to the rear resin glue if you're using shop saw veneer. I re- really recommend the rear resin glue if you're using shops on it. yeah
0: there is a sticker there's a Joe woodworker website great information mm-hmm. on there if you uh, want to learn a little bit about yeah. that tons of information yeah all right guy you've got the next question
2: so my next question comes from April who's uh, one of our new patreon members and she's asking and this is a this is a really deep question we don't want to get too in depth into it, but I think it's a good question because we've never really talked about it, I don't think, before. Can you speak a little in general about expansion and contraction of wood with some basic do not versus do when it comes to gluing and allowing wood movement? Thanks in advance, and she's learning a ton from our podcast. April's a newer woodworker, so that expansion and contraction thing is a real... And nobody Mm -hmm. you you always think you have it figured out, and then one day it's like, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. that moved. Mm -hmm. Um a good example of paying attention to expansion contraction. Right now I'm building this cabinet for a PA amplifier for a school, Mm -hmm. and it's frame and panel construction. So I built the legs, and the legs have a, a groove. And there's mortise and tenon on the top and bottom, and the the styles or the rails go into the legs, and then there's a panel that's going to fit into the grooves that go all the way around. And I was talking to one of the guys, and he says, "Well, what about expansion contraction?" I said, "Well, right now it's winter time, mm-hmm. so the wood's going to be a little bit drier because the air is drier. There's not as much humidity in the air, so." I'm worried about the panel right now. I'm worrying about the panel expanding at this time of year. So I want to give it like an extra eighth to three sixteenths of an inch on each side because it's a panel's fairly wide at 20 some inches. But I want to make sure there's enough room there. So when August comes, this thing can move into the groove and not blow the legs off the thing. Now, Mm -hmm. conversely, in the summertime, let's say I was building this in August, it would be the exact opposite. Right. I want to make sure that I have enough meat there when this thing shrinks in the wintertime, it's not going to fall out of the (laughs) the frame I built into it. So those are things to take in consideration. You have to take, you know, another, another thing is, you know, look at it like the top. This cabinet is kind of a cool thing to, to be talking about now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. So like when you're attaching a top, you build the case and on top you have like a subtop, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're going to attach the top to that. Well, right. what you do is you lock in the front with, mm-hmm. let's say, screws. Mm-hmm. But in the back, you have to have elongated, elongated holes. So what you're doing is as the top expands, it doesn't expand in the front, but you're pushing the expansion towards the back,
1: right, right. So you're keeping the front stationary, so the fascia yes. looks the same. Yeah,
2: correct. Yeah. Those are all things that take into consideration. Mm-hmm. What what other pearls of wisdom can can you impart to this conversation, Sean?
0: So probably uh, I've talked about it before on the on the show. The first lesson I got in wood movement was I glued solid wood panels in a frame, mm-hmm. uh, made some side tables, the sides of the case had a frame and panel design and I glued the solid wood panel in place. And after a year or so, it probably shrunk and it cracked in the middle of of the panel. So every, every panel uh, they have three panels per end table and there's two end tables, all three or all six panels have cracks right down the middle. Anywhere wood is going to move. You can't prevent that. So you've always got to be thinking about the surrounding wood that's around that. And is it going to be able to move across its width? Uh, you often see some people uh, will have solid tabletops and put a, a miter frame around it. The corners are going to come apart because that wood is going to expand and contract. Right. That's same a bad thing. With, idea. Yeah. Yeah, this, yeah. The same thing with like chessboards that you'll see some folks make solid wood chessboards and put a mitered frame around it.
2: Mm-hmm. That
0: wood is going to move. So you're going to have gaps in your miters. You, you've always got to let the, the wood move. So always be thinking about when you're building a piece. Am I going to be yeah. restricting that wood movement? And if you are, then you need to allow for that because you're not going to stop it. And yeah, knowing and what direction- Sorry, go ahead, Guy.
2: I was going to say, and and, and knowing how to control it and have mm-hmm. it move a certain direction where it's less obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was talking before about pinning the front of the the, the top and letting mm-hmm. the back float free.
1: And another example of understanding the wood movement and controlling the direction of that wood movement- is a situation where I was making a frame and panel, not a door but a lid. and I glued the center, making sure that there was enough room and this was during uh, this was during the winter when I was building this and glued the center portion of the panel to the the style. is that right? It doesn't matter. The point is, is that the expansion, yeah, the expansion was going from the center out, right? So I was gluing those, the center of that panel, making sure that there was enough space on either side uh, of the rail to allow for that panel, that solid wood center panel to expand and contract outwards. So there's another situation or or another example of knowing or controlling that expansion contraction and knowing where that wood is going to go. Uh, Similar to what you were talking about, Guy. This is a big topic and there's a lot of information out there about this. You know, a lot of cabinet books, a lot of the books that I've read talk about this. And what I like to do is just looking at the plans that are in some of these books, you know, cabinet making books and seeing how they construct like a web frame, for instance, Mm -hmm. or frame and panel and looking at how it's constructed and looking at the notes within the plans where they explain like hey, this is going to go in this direction. You need to pin it here or you need to glue it here so that this panel is going to move or this frame is going to move. It's a very good way of learning, at least for me, because I'm such a visual learner.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm kind of a control freak, so I want to be able to control my expansion and contraction. And <laughs> what we was talking about, like the center, uh, the panel that, that that's going on a frame and panel construction, like in a door face, you know, I mm-hmm. always pin the center. Mm-hmm, yep. With some glue, yep. Because I want the, I don't want my door panel moving. Mm-hmm. I just want it going outwards. I want to control the expansion and the contraction. Uh, a, there's a lot we could spend hours talking about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, I don't. We're not going to. So I think <laughs> we're going to move on to the next question. I hope that answers your questions, April. There's a, there's a lot of information out there on the internet. If you're going to watch YouTube videos, watch. Build videos, project videos, not tips and tricks videos, because there's some good. You know, Hui's got a couple. I've got some. Sean's got some, and we all talk about wood movement and all those videos. So, yeah, go to our YouTube channels only.
1: <laughs> Don't go to mine. It's terrible. Don't go to mine. Go to theirs. Yeah.
2: Go to We Don't go to Hui's. It's he's pretty bad. So. <laughs> So who's got the next question?
0: I do. And uh, this is from Brad. He also brings up YouTube in this. Love your podcast. Your show is amazing, and I love all three of your social stuff. Guy, your YouTube page is amazingly helpful for me. Sean, yours is the best on the internet. I I added that part about mine, but he actually says, Guy, your YouTube page (laughs) is amazingly (laughs) helpful for me. I'm a hobbyist woodworker who sells pieces based upon commission only. I've been building up my shop via commission projects over the past four years, and I've started with all... Home Depot, where I will be stationary tools to learn on, and now upgrading to more professional tools. Here's what I have so far. A Laguna F2 hybrid table saw. Just got it, mm-hmm. and I love it. It took some mods for dust collection, but it's awesome. I have a wind drill press, a Craftsman used lathe that I got for $100 from a neighbor. It's basically brand new. A rigid miter saw station, a Porter cable router, and a homemade table. Dust collection system with a shop vac and a dust deputy, and a 10-inch wind bandsaw. So my question is, what do I get next, a drum sander or a joiner-planer combo? My budget's around $1,200, and space is an issue. I work out of a one car garage. I do have everything on wheels except for the table saw. Hope I didn't ramble. Keep up the great work. Brad. All right. (laughs) Yeah, if this were uh, my shop, I would be looking for a joiner-planer combo, but I'm not sure you're going to find one for $1,200 new. Uh, Mm. You can look around for used equipment and hopefully you'll find one. I do know that Jet makes the 10-inch combo, and we talked about it on this podcast before, but that machine is in a completely different category than their 12-inch combo machine that Guy and I both have. It gets horrible reviews, so I would stay away from that. Uh, If it were me, I would probably save up a little bit more money uh, for a better machine like the Jet Combo, but always keep your eye on places like Craigslist to see if you can snag a used one uh, that's in good shape. Another option, if you need something right now is to, uh, you can always buy an eight inch joiner from Grizzly and save up a few hundred more and buy uh, a DeWalt lunchbox planer. You know, this is similar to what I had in the beginning and it treated me very well until I upgraded to the the combo machine. Um, Mm -hmm. but overall you mentioned that you're in a one car garage, so I would probably save up a little bit more money and just go for the better combination machine. You're just asking for trouble if you're going for that smaller 12 inch or 10 inch jet. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. going to lose you money in the end. You're going to have a hard time selling it. And plus, you're you're going to pull your hair out trying to get square and true boards. Uh, so I would recommend saving up a little bit more for a combo machine and keep your eye on Craigslist. Um, what do you guys think? Man, <laughs>
1: yeah, you're really hard pressed to find a joiner planer combo machine at that price point that is worth buying. And I think you're right, Sean, uh, I would probably save up. Or if I'm I was, you know, hard pressed to get something. Man, Grizzly makes a great joiner. I really liked the Grizzly joiner that I had. And their eight inch joiner is is well priced and uh and it it definitely
2: But it's that's over twelve hundred dollars. It depends
0: on which one you're looking at though. Yeah, that's
1: true. Yeah. I don't know. Um uh, I would probably save my pennies, but if I was hard pressed, I maybe get the lunchbox planer and then maybe even a six inch joiner. If you're looking for a combo machine, I would probably save my pennies.
2: For for twelve hundred dollars, you could take five hundred of that money and put it towards the four post DeWalt thickness planer. Yes, is that how much they are? are they five hundred or they six hundred? I don't. I remember. think they're five hundred.
0: You, you could probably get it on a Black Friday sale or Christmas sale or something like that for right around for 500. five hundred.
2: Let, let's say five fifty.
0: All right. So
2: that's that's, going to give you $650 left in your budget.
0: Mm -hmm. Math
2: checks out. $650 left in your budget. You can buy a very nice used eight inch joiner. There you go. You'd be amazed at what's out there for that price. There's a lot of, like I said, a lot of old Deltas. There's a lot of old Grizzly machines out there, but do yourself a favor and, you know, To to get a combination machine, those things are $3,500, $4,000. They're expensive. They're expensive. And they're not that plentiful on Craigslist. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's my recommend. If you've got $1,200 to spend and you got to get something now and you want to be able to, you know, to, to me, milling wood is the start of any project yeah. and having machines that can mill your wood correctly is a, is a huge thing. Yeah. So with a, with a good used eight inch joiner and that DeWalt four post thickness planer, that thing is a beast, man. I had one of those and I I loved it. You can't go wrong with that.
1: 735, right? Yep. Yep. It's 550 on Home Depot. I saw it.
2: The 735 is the model number. Yeah. 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 It's a great machine. Um, so that's my recommendation, Brad.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, he has a one car shop, so he may not have the room for the two separate machines, but I would easily do that and make room somehow, then get that Jet 10-inch. It's just it's just a different machine. It's, it's just, yeah. I've not heard one good positive review about that Jet 10-inch. I've never yeah. used it. I can't speak from experience, but I've never heard any uh, positive reviews on that. So keep your eye on Craigslist or go for the two separate machines. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Awesome. All right. Well, that's uh, that's all the questions. What do we have going on in our shops? Uh, Guy, what about you? What have you been working on in the shop since our last episode?
2: Uh, in, in my shop, uh, uh, I got some time in the shop over the weekend, about half a day. And uh, I finished up the pull-out shelves of my pantry Mm -hmm. for the for the kitchen. My wife was pretty happy about that. They look good. Yeah, they they came out really nice. They -hmm. came out really nice. I'm pretty happy with them. Mm -hmm. I think I'm gonna. I've got. I'm. I'm, I'll be off work five days for the Christmas holiday. So I'm gonna finish up my travel tool chest. Get that done. And I'm in the design process right now for my desk. For my office, which I'm going to build. Oh. What so, style
1: uh, are you going to do? Do you do you have an idea?
2: I'm I'm doing guys' woodshop style. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that
0: before. I like it.
2: <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be more of a of a modern feel okay. to it. You know, um, mm-hmm. like a lot of the stuff I design. I don't know if you can really classify it as this type of furniture or that type of furniture. Yeah, um, but I don't have my own style, so you can't look at one of my pieces and say, "Oh, that's a guy Dunlap." No, you can't do that. It's just <laughs> veneered. I'm, I'm in this. Yeah, it's there's going to be a lot of veneer work, a lot of curves, of course. Nice. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. What about you, Sean?
0: I am finishing up a shaker style cherry cabinet that's going to be actually hanging out in the shop. I'm going to be replacing um, just this old craftsman toolbox that's sitting on top of a craftsman toolbox uh, that I hold a bunch of crap in. I'm going to move that out of the way and, and put this up on the up on the wall to put like my PPE equipment in there, camera gear and all that stuff to get it out of the dust. And uh, yeah, I'm using some of the cutoffs that I've had from in the rack for for a little while. I've been without a bandsaw for several weeks now and I resawed this cherry board before I got rid of it and I broke the corner of it off of the resawing board. So I had to glue it back together and very carefully mill that down to a quarter of an inch and somehow it didn't just shatter and I was able to uh, to save that panel.
2: <clears throat> what happened to your bandsaw? I sold it. Did you buy a new one?
0: Not yet. Um, I'm really close.
2: Um, I thought you would have bought one over the Black Friday with everybody's having 10 or 15 <laughs> or 20% off and all that crap.
0: No, no, uh, I didn't. We'll see what happens the next few weeks.
2: Have you decided which one you're going to get? Not yet. What's in, what's, what's in the running?
0: I, I'm thinking uh, it's probably going to be looking like um, a Felder. Either an N forty four hundred or the FB five ten. Man, yeah, look at you. <laughs> nice. It's a it's a it's a little step up from a Porter Cable. Um, a little, <laughs> a little it's a little step up from a Porter Cable fourteen inch. But that's yeah, funny. that's what I've had uh, going on in my shop. Um, Really happy to get this uh, cherry cabinet done and on the wall. Hopefully have it on there Christmas day. Mm-hmm. Not for any reason other than that's just when I happen to get it finished. <laughs> yeah. What about you? What do you got going on in the shop? Well, I just finished
1: sanding all of the pieces for the drop leaf table that I'm making for my mother-in-law and I just applied a sealer and now I am applying the final coats of finish to it. And so I will be hopefully assembly. Actually, as we speak now, it's drying. So hopefully I've got maybe one more coat and then final assembly, final glue up, and my hope is to have it finished before Christmas for her. So it's a Christmas gift to my mother-in-law. You only got two days. I've got two days. I've got two days. I think I'll get it done. Um, I just need one more coat to finish, and then I need to All to glue it up. Right. You gotta so. go out there and do it tonight.
0: Yep. You better yep. get
2: it right. That's your mother-in-law. You don't get it right, man. You'll never live that crap down. <laughs>
0: and by the way, we're recording this on the 23rd in case anybody's interested. So he's uh, yeah. cutting it close.
1: And uh, one more thing that I'm doing is I just bought one of those 8 by 10 resin sheds. It's a little like Home Depot resin shed. Yeah. I'm going to be putting my lawn equipment. So I had to build a wooden platform on some concrete pavers so that it's all flat. So I had to build that, you know, just more like rough carpentry type stuff. But I finished the platform, but it's been raining the last couple of days. So I haven't been able to uh, to get out there and actually assemble the shed. But man, I'm really looking forward to that and getting all my lawn equipment and pressure washer, all that stuff, gasoline, put it out in the shed and get it out of the shop so that uh, I've got a little bit more space. I have a riding lawnmower, so that riding lawnmower takes a ton of space in my shop. So I'm really looking forward to that.
0: That's it. That's all I got. Awesome. I think that'll do it for this show. Please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have woodworking questions you would like answered, you can send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com, or you can DM us through Instagram at woodshop We also want to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and feedback. You can find me at SimpleCove.com and at SimpleCove on Instagram and YouTube. What about you? Where can you be found?
1: You can find me at AlabamaWoodworker.com. All my links to my social media sites are on my website. Guy, how about you?
2: GuysWoodShop.com.
0: Awesome. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Talk to you guys later.
2: Merry Merry Christmas, everybody.
0: Merry Christmas. Happy New
2: Year. Uh, bye. 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 Bye.